0: Good morning, I greet you in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank and praise you for the privilege we have of being your sons and your daughters, your servants and your soldiers. Lord, what a privilege we have of enjoying your grace and mercy, being part of your victorious army, your church. Worldwide. Part of your church that is now triumphant in heaven, your church militant on earth, and the church yet to be born. We pray, Lord God, that you would calm our hearts, that you would focus our minds on your word, on your work, on your worship, on your will. May the words of our mouths, may the meditation of our hearts be acceptable worship in your sight. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Let us hear the word of the Lord as it is found in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal... Is God, follow Him. But the people answered Him not a word. This is the Word of God. There are times when we are confronted with defining moments, with defining choices, on which far more depends than our own eternal salvation and well being. These defining moments, these choices need to be responded to with conviction and with courage. Elijah stood alone. It was a defining moment on Mount Carmel when conviction and courage confronted compromise and cowardice. There were hundreds of false prophets, 450 false prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. And Elijah challenged him to a contest. Those false prophets would build their altar, and he, Elijah, would build his altar. And each would pray, and the God who answered with fire, he would be recognized as the one true God. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people answered not a word. Sometimes silence is golden, but other times silence is just plain yellow. (laughs) There was a deafening silence. The people of Israel were so backslidden, so apostate, they just nailed their colors to the fence. They did not say a word. They remained uncommitted, They were waiting to see how things turned out, which way the wind blew, which way the fire fell. Obviously, they would back the winner, but they wanted to see the result first. As there were far more false prophets than there was the one being faithful to the Lord God, they started first. From morning till noon, these false prophets shouted and screamed and Danced and leapt about and cut themselves with knives until the blood flowed. They worked themselves into a frenzy, but there was no answer. No word. No fire. After hours of fruitless futility, these false prophets had exhausted themselves and they were literally lying on the ground. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come. Near to me. And so all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been broken down. And it came to pass at the time of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God. In Israel, And I am your prophet, and I've done all these things according to your word. O Lord, hear me, so that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you are turning their hearts back to him again. Then the fire fell, and it consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, And it licked up all the water that was in the trench. Now, when the people saw this, they fell in their faces and they cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. There is a time to stand up, there is a time to speak out, there is a time to step out in faith. And this is what Elijah did on that great day on Mount Carmel when he confronted the false prophets of Baal. Although he was heavily outnumbered, although all the political power was against him, the wicked King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, Elijah had the conviction about what was true and the courage to fight the good fight of faith because he feared God. He was freed from the fear of man. When did the fire fall? When the altar was repaired. When the sacrifice was offered. When the water was poured. When the prayer of faith was made. Where is the fire in your life? There were two altars, but only one had the fire. Jesus spoke of two men who built two houses on two different foundations. But the one house was built on sand. And when the rain fell and when the floods rose and when the storm raged, the house built on sand crumbled. But the house built on a rock stood firm. Jesus speaks of a wise man who builds his house on a rock and a foolish man who builds his house in the sand. On what foundation are you building your life? There are two ways, the Lord Jesus said. There's the broad road, and there's the narrow road. Now, the broad road that leads to destruction, it is smooth, it is wide, it is comfortable, and it is downhill. It's easy, and it's popular. It's full. The narrow road is often pretty lonely and steep and rough. But we do not choose our road by the quality of the road. We've got to choose our road by, is it going to the destination we want to get to? On which road are you? Jesus said we would know a tree by its fruit. So what is the fruit of your life? Is it the love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. But there's the fruit of the flesh. Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the flesh is adulteries, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Are you for Christ or are you against him? Jesus said, you're either helping me gather or you are scattering. You're either with me or you are against me. There's no neutrality possible In this world, there's not a neutral thought, a neutral form of education, a neutral form of government. There's not a neutral philosophy or concept. There is nothing neutral on this planet. It is either for Christ or it is against him. It is either gathering people to God's kingdom or it is scattering people abroad. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father, who is in heaven, and before the holy angels. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father, who is in heaven. And many Christians stumble here, because it's intimidating. And many times, terror wells up in a heart. The idea of standing up and going against the stream. You know, even a dead fish can float downstream. (laughs) But have you seen the steel-headed trout? I've been in New York State, upper New York State, and watch the steel-headed trout going up waterfalls. Going up waterfalls. Incredible. The tenacity, they, they fall back. Who knows how many times? But they keep going. They are going to get up that stream, and it doesn't matter how many waterfalls there are, these steel-headed trouts are determined. They will have their babies born where they were born, and they are going back up that stream. Now, that's a live fish you can go against the stream. But many Christians find it terrifying to witness for the Lord or make a stand or to stand up and speak out and step out when the moment of crisis comes. But actually, it's not that difficult. Even our children can teach us how to do that. I remember my mother telling me how when she was taking my daughter Andrea, who was only five years old at the time, to the shopping mall, Cavendish Square, one of the biggest shopping malls in Cape Town, and in the center of the shopping mall, they had some children's program a magician was doing some display. And as my mother skirted on the edge, going as far away as possible with my daughter in tow, the magician saw her and shouted, Hey, little girl, come over here. We have magic for you. And my mother says, my daughter responded loud enough for the whole shopping mall to hear because five-year-olds do not need a PA system. My Lord Jesus does miracles, and that's better than your magic. (laughs) And the magician stood there speechless. Out of the mouths of babes, the Lord can make a stand. Shortly after that, I was flying to Holland on KLM, and the plane had just taken off. And my daughter shouted out for the whole aircraft to hear, We're Christians! So I, turned to, I put my book down and turned to my daughter and said, Well, yes, Andrea, we are, but why do you say that at the, this time? She said the lady was just asking, If there's any Christians, please let her know. So I thought for a moment, I said, I think that's if there's any questions we should let her know. <laughs> but she was so ready to make a stand for the Lord. It's not that difficult for us to stand for Christ. Even our children can show us how to do that. Despite the social pressures, despite the political danger, despite the ecclesiastical pressure, Elijah stood up. Elijah stepped out. And Elijah spoke up for Yahweh, Jehovah God. He confessed the Lord before men. And God most powerfully answered his prayer, pouring out fire upon his altar. And humbling and humiliating and exposing as worthless this false religion of Baal. In the Reformation, bold believers made a similar stand for righteousness and truth. Professor John Wycliffe of Oxford University, the greatest professor of the greatest university in the world at that time. Professor Wycliffe stood up, stepped out, spoke out against the superstitions and the corruptions and the heresies of the medieval Roman Catholic apostate system, the Whore of Babylon. And he proclaimed, Christ alone is the head of the church. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. Scripture contains everything necessary for our salvation. All authorities must be tested by Scripture alone. Professor Jan Hus of Prague stood up for the faith and he gave his life. He was burned at the stake for the crime of opposing the Roman Catholic apostasy, the papist Antichrist. And Jan Hus was burned at the Council of Constance for his stand. He died singing the Psalms. Jerome Savonarola was burned at the stake in Florence for his brave attempt at reform. If I had a place to stand. I could move the world. That is what Archimedes, the Greek engineer, said. Archimedes was referring to the wonders of the lever. In principle, the capacity of a lever is unlimited. An ordinary weakling could move a boulder the size of a house. All that he would need would be a fulcrum, a pole strong enough that it would not break, and he would need it to be able to balance on a bar, and then he would need a place to stand. The force-multiplying physics of the lever are a function of distance. The heavier the object, or the weaker the person needing to move the object, the longer the pole needs to be, and the further away from it you would have to stand. However, with the right fulcrum... Resting on the right bar and the right distance, all you would need to do would be to push on the lever and the obstacle, no matter what it would be or how big it would be, would move. And so theoretically, Archimedes famously declared if I had the right fulcrum, the right bar and distance, I would be able to move planet Earth itself as long as I had a place to stand. The Reformation was a defining moment when Christian convictions and courage met the crossroads of decision and engaged in the battlefields of belief and behavior. On the 18th of April, 1521, the 37-year-old professor of Wittenberg University, Dr. Martin Luther, found himself summoned in front of the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, the greatest political power of that time. And standing before the assembled political and religious might of Europe, he was presented with a simple choice. Will you recant and reject everything that you've written and said about the gospel? Or will you be cast out of the church as a heretic and out of the state as a traitor? Effectively, to be burned at the stake. In other words, recant or die. Dr. Martin Luther's reply moved the world. He changed history because he had a place to stand. Dr. Martin Luther's reply was, My conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. Our Lord Jesus Christ declared that our faith would be able to move mountains. Well, Martin Luther's faith moved the world. Because he had a place to stand, he stood on the word of God. And the fulcrum he used was the gospel. And this was balanced on the bar of the law of God. Dr. Martin Luther actually fulfilled in practice what the Greek engineer Archimedes had merely hypothesized about. Standing on the word of God, using the bar of the law of God and the fulcrum of the gospel Martin Luther's faith not only moved mountains, it changed history. It changed the world. It was a defining moment. It brought to an end the Middle Ages. It ushered in the modern age. The Protestant Reformation, which gave birth to the resultant scientific revolution, the Industrial Revolution, the Information Age, producing the most productive, prosperous, and free nations in the history of the world. All this because Martin Luther had a place to stand and he made a stand on the unchangeable word of almighty God. Unless I'm convinced by scripture or by clear reasoning that I'm in error. For popes and councils have often contradicted themselves. I cannot recant for my conscience is captive to the word of God. It is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against one's conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise, so help me God. Amen. The decisive actions of reformers like Dr. Martin Luther were blessed by God by such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which made the Protestant Reformation one of the greatest moments of faith and freedom in history so far. The Reformation was inspired by a great vision. Without a vision, a people perish. So what is your vision? What are you living for? The Reformers lived for something far bigger than themselves. They had a vision far greater than their own times and their own nations. Their vision continues to impact and bless the world even hundreds of years after their death. Martin Luther, although he was in Europe, In Germany, 500 years ago, his faith and his conduct continues to bless and impact and inspire us and countless millions of Christians worldwide to this day. And even those who don't even know his name or his legacy are blessed and benefited by the movement he set in place. The word of God declares, who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will make a stand for me against the workers of iniquity? The young shepherd boy David, although he was the youngest and he was the least, he rose up and he made a stand against the blaspheming Philistine giant Goliath. You come to me with your sword, your spear, and your javelin. I come in the name of the Lord God of hosts, whom you have defied. In many ways, the Reformation was a David versus Goliath enterprise from the very beginning. Courageous Davids, reformers, challenged the political and ecclesiastical might, who had abused the authority, who had distorted the scriptures. When Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses, the 95 arguments against the corruptions and unbiblical practices and beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church to the door of the Schlosskircher, the castle church in Wittenberg, he was making a stand that would echo and resonate through the ages and it's continuing to to this day. He burned the papal bull publicly in Wittenberg. He stood firm before the emperor. He refused to back down from a scriptural position. Nathan the prophet had the courage to confront the king, the king who could order his life taken in a moment and say, you are the man. Daniel could stand before the king of Babylon and say, you are weighed in the balances and you are found wanting. John Knox, the Scottish reformer, confronted the wicked Mary, Queen of Scots, in the same spirit as the prophet Nathan. John Knox described Mary, Queen of Scots, as a traitress and a rebel against God. The queen declared trembling and in fears, she is more afraid of the prayers of John Knox than of an army of 10,000 you can bet that John Knox was not praying the prayer of Jabez. (laughs) John Knox was not praying the kind of Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, Joel Olsteen, namby-pamby, wishy-washy, compromising, wet, anemic, doormat, saltless, lightless, weedy type of antinomianism. He was praying the imprecatory psalms, the prayers of judgment, because he understood the wrath of God against him, because he understood the holiness of God, because he understood the depravity of man. His prayers shook Mary, Queen of Scots. He wasn't the kind of person that your president would invite to come to a government inauguration event. Daniel courageously stood firm under three pagan kings, Exiled from his own land in childhood. Daniel is an example of steadfast integrity. Shows what a homeschool boy can do far from home. He served in the governments of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar in Babylon. And King Darius of the media Persian Empire. Yet, without compromise, he refused the meat offered to idols from the king's table. He courageously confronted Belshazzar over his blasphemous abuse. Of the temple implements from Jerusalem. You are weighed in the balances and you are found wanting. When commanded to pray only to the king, David continued to pray to the Lord God and he ended up in the lion's den. But he wasn't worried. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The devil is like a lion, he's not a real lion. The real lion is the Lord Jesus. The devil just prowls around and roars like a lion. He's a fake. He is not all-powerful, everywhere present and all-knowing like our Lord Jesus Christ. Those lions were doubtless abused and they were doubtless starved so that they would tear to pieces any enemy of the king. But I'm sure God spoke to those lions and said, Daniel's one of mine. And their faith and their patience was rewarded. the next morning they got a great meal when all the tattletales were thrown in. (laughs) Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli stand out as courageous and fearless Daniels who stood firm, faithfully expounding the scriptures amidst many threats and a lot of dangers. We ought to obey God rather than man. John the Baptist courageously preached against sin. He confronted corruption and heresy. He lost his own head for opposing The wickedness of King Herod. And Professor Jan Hus stands in the same spirit as John the Baptist, with the same courage. We must obey God rather than man. The word of the Lord declares, so I sought for a man amongst them who would stand before me in the gap and build up the wall and intercede on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. Our churches are under attack as never before. Their battle for the family is more intense than ever. Even the very definition of marriage itself, the foundation block of civilization, is being eroded and attacked and undermined at every point. We have never seen such an attack on the family as is raging at this time throughout the world. And the U.S. government is taking millions of your taxpayer dollars to fund an army of homosexual lobbyists to invade Africa to try and persuade the 54 countries in Africa where homosexuality is a crime into making it a privileged. Well, they're not asking about rights. They're asking about privileges for perverts. Religious freedom is at stake. You know that there are bakers who have lost their position for refusing to cater for homosexual weddings. You know there's military chaplains and officers and NCOs on orders and charge for refusing to obey unlawful commands from pervert superior officers. You know that right now there are ministers under pressure, even in Europe, for refusing to do homosexual marriages. This is just the beginnings of a tidal wave of persecution against the church that is coming from the pervert lobby. The future of civilization itself is at stake. Are you standing in the gap? Are you interceding on behalf of the land? Are you helping to rebuild the walls that are being shattered and broken on every point by the wrecking balls of the humanists? Are you impacting your world for Christ? Our mission began at a defining moment when I had my military call-up, and I I was frustrated because I'd always, throughout my life, had wanted to be a soldier. Every Hammond going back to 10th century had been soldiers on both sides of my family. We were military, and I'd always planned to be a soldier, but I'd been converted to Christ shortly before my time in the army. Now I was heading for two years in the military, and I was frustrated because I wanted to be in missions. And the Lord convicted me at the very first chaplain service. Am I not in the middle of a mission field? And I asked the chaplain for permission to stand up after the service was over, and I turned and faced 500 other soldiers looking just like me, all in brown uniforms with no hair. And I turned and I said, I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart. And I want to honor him in my next two years here. If anyone else feels the same, please see me afterwards. Let's start a Bible study and prayer fellowship. And that's really where our mission began. And there have been other defining moments when we just had to make a stand. I remember when Ahmadidat, head of the Islamic Propagation Center International, organized in Cape Town, my town, in the biggest auditorium, the Good Hope Center, a rally on Christianity, communism, and Islam. I knew I had to go there and make a stand. I was terrified. 5,000 Muslims in this auditorium. I left my motorbike at a position outside where I could make a very quick getaway. <laughs> I went in, and I waited for the opportunity for questions on the floor, and the platform was high and lifted up and the microphone was right in the middle with all this arena around you had to walk and very exposed very vulnerable and i remember having every excuse in my heart and mind not to make a stand but i knew that i had to they'd been talking about how islam is the black man's religion christianity is for the white men only islam is all united the christians are all divided Islam has only one book, the Quran. It's never been changed. Christians, they've got so many Bibles, and it's being changed all the time. And so many lies and twisting of history. And so I knew I had to make a stand. And I walked to that microphone. There was Amadida way up there. And I had to challenge him, say, Christianity predates Islam by six centuries in Africa. The Ethiopian eunuch, Matthew planting the gospel in Ethiopia. The treasure of Queen Candace taking the gospel to Sudan. Saint Mark, who wrote Mark's gospel, was martyred for Christ in Alexandria, planting the church in Egypt, which is still there. Islam is not the black man's religion. It's the greatest affliction black people have ever been called to endure. Islam is the religion of the slave trader, which has oppressed and exploited the people of Africa. And I mentioned a whole group of things, including, before they switched the mic off, the bombing of churches in Sudan, where i had just come from. And suddenly the mic went dead, and people were getting furious, and I made that a good time to do a hasty retreat, get on my motorbike and soar out while some Jalabas were running after me. There comes a time when we must make a stand, and we must speak out. Proverbs 1 says, Wisdom cries aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief gateways of the city. At the openings of the city, she speaks her words. We are called to go into the marketplaces. We are called to go into the streets and in the gates. Whether you're talking about the social media, the radio networks, the shopping malls, wherever it is that people meet and where ideas are being discussed, such as in universities, we must be there making a stand. Wisdom needs to cry out. God now commands all men everywhere to repent. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Have you humbled yourself? Are you seeking God's face? Are you turning from your wicked ways? Are you praying? Then I heard the voice of the Lord calling, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I answered, "Here am my Lord, send me. What does God want you to do today? What does God want you to do this week? What does God want you to do this month? What does God want you to do this year? If you knew that you had only one more year, On this earth, what would you do in that year? We should live in the light of eternity. We all have an appointment. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. In the light of that appointment, which not one of us will even be able to be late for, it's one appointment we will always be on time for, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that to face judgment, to give an account of our lives before our Creator, our eternal God, our command-in-chief. Every day there are decisions we need to make. Every day there are temptations we need to resist. Every day there are challenges we need to face. Opportunities to seize. Battles to win. Every day we have scriptural commands we need to obey. Every decision we make makes us more a creature of heaven or of hell. C.S. Lewis said, every decision we make sets us more on the broad way to hell or the narrow way to life. There are defining moments when we need to respond with conviction and courage, with determination and with decisiveness. However, sometimes we come across such major defining moments which are far greater than our own lives and our own eternal destinies. On such occasions, we need to respond with a vision and the courage and the determination and the dedication of those prophets of the Bible and the reformers of old. When the time comes for you to stand up, stand up boldly. When the time comes for you to step out, step out in faith. When the time comes when you must speak up Speak out courageously and with Christian courage the truths of the Scriptures. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we want to thank and praise you for the power of your word. Your word never returns void. It always accomplishes that which you've sent it out to accomplish. We thank you, Lord God, that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We thank you, Lord God, for the wonderful examples of excellence that you give us in church history. And we ask, Lord God, that you would inspire us, that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that we, Lord, on that decisive day, that we would be able to stand up boldly, step out in faith, and speak courageously the truths of your word. Lord, may you enable us to do this for the glory of your name and for the extension of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.